Hello, this is Brian Croft. I'm the senior pastor of Auburndale Baptist Church in Louisville, Kentucky, and I'm also the founder of Practical Shepherding. A few years ago, I started a blog about the daily work of a pastor, and that blog has grown into the various ministries of Practical Shepherding. We want to come alongside pastors who are laboring in the trenches of pastoral ministry to encourage and to equip them. And that's why we started this podcast, Trench Talk. So we hope this podcast encourages you and your church as we continue our conversation about the pastor's work. To find out more about Practical Shepherding, visit our website at practicalshepherding.com or you can follow us on Facebook and Twitter. Welcome to Trench Talk, the podcast produced by Practical Shepherding. This is a podcast by pastors for pastors. I'm your host, Josh Sher. In each episode, we're examining an element of the pastor's ministry with a focus on the practical details of that work. In the first season of the show, we're taking a broad look at some of the basics of ministry with the intention to give a basic framework. That means that there are going to be some times in these early episodes where we're going to leave some stones unturned, and I think that's going to be especially true in this episode. We hope to get back to some of these at a later time. As you're listening... Uh, and you think of questions, we would invite you to send them our way through the website or Facebook or Twitter. We'd love to hear from you and use your questions for a question and answer episode later on. This particular episode is about service leading. With us today, we have two pastors of our church who spend a lot of time thinking about our public gatherings. Brian Croft is the senior pastor of Auburn Baptist Church, and he's also the founder of Practical Shepherding. And also joining us is Jason Atkins, who's an associate pastor at Auburn Hill Baptist Church and very involved in the worship planning and leading. Together, Brian and Jason wrote Gather God's People, which is a book that helps us think about understanding, planning, and leading worship. So brothers, thank you so much for being here today. Uh, you know, so in America and across the world, there is a great gospel unity in our worship. God's people are gathering to hear God's word proclaimed and to worship him based on the gospel. But even though there's a lot of unity around the gospel, that doesn't mean that there's uniformity in our church services. There is a beautiful diversity uh, among God's churches. So with that in mind, I want to ask you, what is the role of a service leader, broadly speaking? When, when someone gets up to lead a service, what are they hoping to accomplish? Yeah, so, so much of what happens in worship needs to be facilitated. Um, there's going to be a time where we're praying together and someone needs to give instructions for that. There's going to be a time where we hear God's word read and there needs to be someone that introduces that and does that role. Uh, often there's someone, there's a time where, um, someone needs to give an introduction to a song and explain to people what we're doing as we sing the song. You need someone to lead all these elements, to encourage God's people to participate, to prepare them to do these different things. So at our church, we designate someone, a service leader who's often in charge of, uh, doing some public praying during the service and reading some passages and giving other instructions. You, in First Peter five, uh, first four verses, you have Peter who tells the the pastors there to uh, shepherd the flock, and he, and one of the ways he describes it is exercising oversight. So the the pastors are to exercise oversight over the public gathering. That doesn't mean pastors exclusively have to necessarily lead the services, but that's also implied, just broadly speaking, in leading a service in the same way a pastor leads and overs exercises oversight over all of the church. So um, 
Does the service leader, is he involved with the service planning at Auburndale? Do you think it's necessary or what is his role in the planning? The service leader is usually not involved in the planning, although they often catch a mistake we might make or they might catch just uh, an error of judgment. How would they uh, catch that? So they're, they're typically gonna, gonna, they're going to prepare for the service just like the musicians do. They're going to look at what's been assigned to them to read. They're going to look at what's been assigned to them to pray. And sometimes they're going to notice, man, this benediction is a little strange. Do you mind if we do something else? I think um, for the Mother's Day sermon we had recently, uh, I thought of doing something from Hebrews 13. And, and a service leader pointed out, you know, that's really about pastors and not about influential women in our lives. Maybe we should consider something different. So that was very wise counsel. That's how they often will catch something that maybe needs an adjustment. It also go the other way. So Jason and I plan the service and then we, we send that service and ask the service leader to prepare, give them a little bit of, of direction. But there's times where you know, the service leader didn't see the connection at all that Jason and I saw pretty clearly. And if they don't ask, then they'll, they sometimes just kind of come up with their own uh, understanding of that. And the di- there's a disconnect in what we had, what we had planned. So, uh, that can go. There can be a breakdown of communication on both sides. But there is communication. So as we talked about in a, another podcast that you should go check out and listen to on service planning, Brian and Jason will plan the service. But there is going to be communication throughout the week after you've planned the service on Tuesday that you will notify the service plan the service leader uh, of the service that you've that you've planned. And so then there will be communication. Uh, like you were just talking about. Yeah, there's going to be email correspondence. And then before we actually have our worship service, we meet for about 10 minutes. And usually we will clarify any misunderstandings then. And if there's something specific maybe that's not that's out of the norm of what we're going to do. So if we do a prayer confession and then we're going to do a scripture reading of a assurance of that confession that we normally don't do, then, then we will even have potentially a dialogue with that leader and say, look, this is what we meant by this. But that's, that's an exception to the rule usually. But there's always, we always try to communicate as much as we feel is necessary to understand. Now, does the service need to be led by a pastor? Is the service leader a pastor? I prefer for our main worship gathering on Sunday mornings to have a pastor be the service leader. Uh, the reason I like to do that is because that pastor is going to give some instructions to the congregation that assume some authority. So the pastor might say something like, let's go together now and confess our sins. It takes somebody with quite a bit of influence in the church to look people in the eye and tell them to do that. Uh, that's not something you can casually do when you haven't built that trust and that leadership and that influence. I think it's helpful to have a pastor doing it. And I've had this conviction for a long time that Jason just articulated. I have to admit I'm maybe getting a, a little soft on it, although I, I still acknowledge I think it's best for a pastor to lead for the exact reasons Jason just stated. Um, but some of the pushback I'm getting in conversations, I'm just trying to think through, just to acknowledge, I don't have all this locked up, is there, if somebody's not a pastor but they have gifts to lead in these particular areas, uh, are they not able to function in those gifts just because they're not a pastor? And so, yeah, I, I, I'm trying to think through that just personally on to, to what level is that necessary and what levels there's, there's, a, there's a freedom. I think we have to acknowledge Jason articulated well why we have that conviction here generally at our church. I don't think there's a tremendous scriptural argument for that. I think it's more one of prudence and wisdom 
and discernment because of the authority position that our church clearly views a service leader. Now, there's another, just to inform the listeners who aren't at our Sunday morning services, there's another opportunity in the service that someone who's not the service leader has to be involved in leading the service. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah. um, In the middle of our service, um, we collect the offering. Uh, That's uh, the established practice at our church, and we allow a man to pray right before that. And we usually give him instructions on how to theme that prayer. It's it's a prayer of praise, um, and we also like them to pray for the preaching of the word that's about to happen. And they often will pray for the offering that we're collecting, that our church will use it for God's glory and honor. Uh, so that's you can build in those opportunities. And I think it feels pretty natural to have another man doing that. Uh, I think our church responds well to that. Uh, so now I want to just break down some of the elements of the service that the service leader will be involved in. And I want to ask you first, how do you prepare to pray publicly? So even if you're giving someone you know, some direction on that prayer, um, what, what kinds of things would you do to prepare to pray publicly? Well, um, my particular preference is to outline a prayer. I, I don't like to script out a whole prayer. For me, that just feels um, stuffy. I lacks passion if I try to deliver a written prayer. I know other men have different preferences on that, just communicating what I do. I like to outline a prayer. I like to think pastorally about our church, what's going on. Uh, think about things that are urgent in church that need to be prayed for. Um, there could be health issues. There could be someone's got a, a, a great evangelistic opportunity that we can be praying for. You just try to care for your church pastorally as you're praying. Um, so that's that's certainly one way I approach it. Yeah, and, and it's, it's interesting how much it's connected to preaching because— we don't want to make a, a preacher use a manuscript or make him do an outline. We, we try to wrestle through what is the what helps that person be most clear, but also passionate and free to, to pray or to preach or whatever. So some guys will, will write it out, but they're able to go up and pray in a very meaningful way. And they don't even, anybody listening wouldn't know they have a script up there that they've taken time to write out. So for me, it's not write it out or not. It's what, what gifts do you have? If you have somebody who is a rambler and does not know how to clearly think on his feet, I almost want to make him write it out, even though it might feel wordy just because of the, the benefit of that. So it really depends on the gift of the, of the individual. I think that, that determines that. Yeah. And as I'm preparing to pray in public anytime, I'm always con- uh, looking through the scriptures to find verses that are going to feed my prayer language I love to just soak my prayers in Scripture, look at things from the Psalms, look at ways that Paul prayed for himself and prayed for others, how he asked people to pray for him. Uh, When we don't know what to pray, that is definitely a resource to go to is God's Word. And as pastors, especially if we know the needs of the congregation, if we're the ones who are supposed to know how people are most hurting. And if we know that, we need to use that. We need to tap into that when we pray and cry out to God since we're praying on behalf of the whole church. So a tragedy hits and we know how this is affecting it. We're about to send out two of our best families we have in this church into the ministry. And a lot of people though are, are excited about that. They're sad they're leaving. And so, you know, that we need to be tapped into that, realizing how much that affects people and our prayers need to be uh, driven by those kinds of things. I'm going to throw out some words uh, about praying publicly and I want you to comment on them and maybe add to this list or prioritize this list. So um, projection, uh, an engaged heart, that's a couple of words, 
but also clarity. Uh, are these things important? Would you sacrifice one for the other? Would you add to that list? Comment on that list. Yes. Well, yeah, they're all important. <laughs> they're all important. <laughs> uh, you know, with projection, just the very basic fact of uh, when you're praying publicly around other Christians, they want to hear you. They want to agree with you. They want to pray uh, what you're praying. They, they want to be engaged. And if you're mumbling, if you're uh, not enunciating your words clearly, it's just distracting. And we quit praying and we start thinking, Man, someone turn his mic up, or uh, you know, you just start thinking those thoughts. So projection is is terribly important. Um, we need to convey the emotions we're feeling before God with our voice. So a monotone prayer is not sinful, uh, but um, it seems unaffected. You seem unaffected by what you're praying for, and you want people to learn how to pray as you're praying. Um, if they're not praying regularly at home in their own time, if they hear you passionately praying, that's going to affect them how they pray throughout the week. Yeah, it, all those are important. But if you're, gonna, if you're pre pressing us to pick one, and those who know me well are going to know that what I'm going to say here, but you could have, you could, your heart could be incredibly engaged in your prayer with a tremendous clarity. But if you cannot be heard, it doesn't matter at all what you say. If you're praying in public on behalf of others, if if you pray with a, 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 a tremendous, you know, you're tremendously articulate and you pray in a very moving prayer, uh, but the 90 year old who has trouble hearing didn't catch any of it, it's very limited in how that's going to be used. So I would emphasize probably as important as all those things are, just what Jason had had, had shared, projection and I would say with projection, uh, pace of your prayer. Whatever is going to allow people to hear clearly what's happening, that is first That is first and foremost. And you'd be surprised on how much of a struggle that is for a lot of men who have to learn that as a skill on how to do that. So how do you learn? How, how do you learn how to project and pace yourself better? Well, I think you have to know your own voice first. You've got to know if your voice is naturally heard well um, or not. And you just got to kind of own that. I mean, God, God's given you what he's given you. And you just need to know what that is and know if you have if you have a voice that's easy to hear and listen to or if you don't. And if you do have that, then you want to use that. Um, but if you have a voice that, like that and you, and you talk too fast, you need to know if you, you know, you need to know things just, you need to be, have an awareness of your own soul and a sense of being willing to own, I, I talk fast when I'm nervous. So I need to be mindful of, if I'm nervous and I need to just, be mindful to talk slow. These are things a lot of men in front of people don't want to own, and, and that's where we have to that's where we have to start. And if and if you have a voice that's hard to be heard, then you need to you need to make that extra effort to do what you can to allow people to be able to hear you. As far as how to how to develop that, which which I mean Spurgeon's great with saying this is something you can work on and get really good at, regardless of what gifts you've been given, is to go in to uh, go into a sanctuary and go into the pulpit where you would normally be praying publicly and turn all the lights off and all the mics off and stand up there and pray or read scripture and have somebody sit in the back and see if they can hear you. That is a great way to, to practice what your voice really can do because we think microphones is going to just compensate for our soft voice, but it doesn't, it, it, it just amplifies what's already happening. So if you can be clearly heard without a mic that's the best way to practice what it's going to sound like with them like. 
Yeah, you can always go ask somebody that you know is hard of hearing if they could hear you. Uh, they'll appreciate that pastoral care. If they couldn't hear you, ask for their forgiveness. Tell them you're sorry, and that will go a long way with them. You'll earn some trust. I've I think, had that happen to me. <laughs> oh, yeah. Then the um, I think something we didn't mention was how long the prayer is. Oh, yeah. Oh, you've got to think pastorally about that. Um, uh, you can pray for a long time, and people really, um, you know, they start to fall asleep. They just they lose engagement. Um, and then you take up time um, and make the service run longer. Uh, you put people that are doing things after you kind of in a bind. Uh, so you really need to think about how long you're going to pray. Uh, and I know spontaneous prayers may have a little harder time with that, but uh, you've got to just project. You've got to just figure out the amount of time you need to pray and try to stay in a limit. Yeah, that's a good word because the in regard to preaching and praying in the service in particular, uh, you can approach it one of two ways. You can preach and pray at the, at the level that you think your congregation should be at to be able to listen. Or you can preach and pray at the level they are, where, where meeting them where they are, and and then trying to stretch them a bit from there. There's tons of guys who show up and go, you know, I don't care that this, you know, the congregation can only listen 20 minutes. They need to listen 50. And so I'm just going to preach 50, and that's how I'm going to get them there. Yeah, you can choose to do that if you want, but that's probably a bad idea. Uh, let's turn our attention to scripture reading for a moment. Uh, Paul tells Timothy to devote himself to reading scripture. What does a helpful scripture reading sound like from a service leader? I think that it's um, a thoughtful, meditative reading. It's got a, a good pace to it. Um, you can very easily, when you're reading something, you can read it very quickly and you can read it softly. And um, that does not convey the importance of God's word. So we want to slow down, emphasize phrases that are important, em- emphasize phrases or words that you think are the reason why the scripture has been chosen for that moment. Um, so that's that's incredibly important. Um, yeah, I think the the scripture reading is similar to prayer in that um, the pace we speak at, how well we project. Um, there's no, you know, just reading a passage, so it's not the same as having to gather clear thoughts like in a prayer. But you're reading God's word. If every word is God-breathed, then you need to read it like it is. And one of the things I appreciate uh, that happens in our service at different times is how much people will highlight just when a passage is read. So if there's power just in the word, it's not that it's, everything has to be exposited. But Scripture is supposed to be read. That's why Paul tells Timothy that because there's power in just the reading of the word. But that that doesn't mean we should not put a lot of effort into trying to make it sound meaningful and um, uh, moving to the to the listener. So I'm really encouraged when I hear people say like, um, you know, you read that passage really well to, to the person who led the service or something. And because we want that, we've tried to train our people to see that reading. No explanation, just a reading of what, let the text speak for itself, um, be a powerful moment in the service. And, and how do you think, or what are some ways to, to get better at that? Would you encourage uh, service leaders to read the text out loud ahead of time, to familiarize themselves with it? Maybe there's some strange words that are hard to pronounce. Exactly, yeah. <laughs> some guys probably do need to read it out loud when they're first starting. I know some men that just have an intuition about it. Uh, they read anything. They put a lot of character in it. You kind of need to know your zone there. Maybe if you've been involved in drama or acting in the past, then you might be able to not read it out loud. You definitely need to look for um, 
names that are in the scripture. If you've given an Old Testament reading, uh, it is very uh, easy to get tripped up over that. Uh, so check out names. I think it's really important if you're reading narrative to look at when um, there are different voices that are being used. So if you're reading something that's an interaction between Jesus and the Pharisees, you might read Jesus' words a little differently than you do the Pharisees. Maybe you're going to put a little more of a negative, cynical tone to the, what the Pharisees are saying. Maybe read that a little faster. Slow down with Jesus' words. Speak them with authority. You know, think about how that text should sound. Yeah, and sometimes I find it helpful if I'm reading a psalm to know if when the sentence ends, or if the <laughs> sentence ends with a question mark. Yeah. <laughs> because you, you could be reading several lines down, and you get to that, and it's like, oh, this is a question. <laughs> uh, I have found that the best thing to do with scripture readings is if you have someone with a Scottish accent in your church, <laughs> go there for them which read scripture yeah. as much as possible. But not everybody has that. So if you don't affect then, a Scottish accent, is no, that what you can't fake it. Oh, that's a good actor. So the, the next best thing is to um, do, do what I suggested with the prayer. I think, and that's one of the ways I'd help talk to guys about helping develop their preaching voice is go in a pulpit with the mic off in a big room like he, they would preach in and read scripture and let somebody go listen. Can I understand what you're saying? So you don't have to think about what you're going to say. Or you don't have to act like you're preaching a sermon. Just speak these clear words when you read them. And that's a great way to let somebody else in the back of the room gauge whether they can clearly hear you. Uh, different churches are going to have different practices in this regard, but just give a couple pieces of advice about uh, setting up a text. So I've heard in some church services, uh, some service leaders have given about five minutes to set up a scripture reading, that the scripture reading takes two minutes. Um, what, what kinds of advice would you give uh, someone who's going to prepare to read scripture? Well, don't do that, what you just <laughs> said. Um, but if that's where the service leader having some knowledge of what the theme of the service is and how it was planned, they need to understand what, why that path. I mean, it's, listen, our church, everything we do is intentional and everybody knows that. So any service leader knows that if they don't get why this was chosen, that they're just missing the reason. So they'll ask a lot of times and then they need to just concisely explain why this is about to be read. The line I would draw is, Feel free to explain kind of context. You're jumping into a passage where you want to avoid is crossing over into exposition, which is very easy for guys to do. But this is about just setting the text up so that that text can just speak for itself. As one who's planning services, I really do enjoy it when the one reading scripture will articulate very briefly why we've even chosen the passage. Yeah. Now, they don't have to say Brian and Jason chose this passage because, but they could say something like, Later in the sermon, we're going to hear Pastor Brian preach on X, Y, or Z. And here in this text, we see X, Y, or Z. You know, that's just something short like that. It gets people's, uh, it gets their attention, gives them something to listen for, mm -hmm. builds the connection, the coherence in the whole service. Yeah, it helps them get ready for the sermon that they're going to hear. Yeah. Too. Yes, mm -hmm. absolutely. Um, I want to ask you, brothers, if there are just any um, general lessons that you've learned along the way as you've been uh leading services for, you know, both of you represent years of experience in this way. Are there any particular experiences that you have had that have impacted how you've thought about leading a service? Yes, I have one. Um, early on uh, here at the church, 
Um, someone pointed out to me that I was uh, making a joyful, I was saying words that were joyful, but my face was not joyful. And they just thought like, you should be smiling when you said that. Uh, and I'm forever grateful for, to that man for ex explaining that to me. Um, now, if uh, at the end of a service, if I'm dismissing a service, I want to tell people it's been a joy to be gathered with you. And I want them to feel that. So I want to express that with my face, my gestures, the tone in my voice. Uh, be emotional in your leadership. Yeah, I think I'm trying to think. I mean, there's been several lessons just articulated as we've walked through this from just how to lead services and, and, and all those kinds of things. But I, I think one of the lessons uh, for me is to remember the, the end goal and what we're doing, that this is not an individual uh, task that we have before us. The service leader's job is to do whatever is necessary to lead, knowing you're bringing everybody together in unity in everything we're doing. So the one powerful, one of the powerful elements of congregational singing that people miss so often, and it shows they miss it based on how services are planned and, and done, is congregational singing is meant for every one of those words sung by the congregation. They're singing those together. They're green on what it says. And so I think just a lesson of realizing that, that corporate worship is, is a special thing. I think the spirit works in corporate worship in a way it doesn't in our prayer closet, you know, that uh, there are things we're doing when we're coming together that signify our unity and our togetherness. And a service leader needs to lead in such a way that facilitates that, that encourages that. Even from a small thing, like when you pray publicly to say we instead of I, even small things like that help facilitate that we are together in what we're doing. And that's what's special about this moment from any other moment throughout the week. That's helpful. That's, that's a good note to end on. So Brian, I want to ask that you would close our time uh, by asking that God would be glorified uh, through faithful service leading in our churches. Right, let's pray. Lord, thank you that of the gift of the gospel and redemption we have in Christ and the freedom we experience from our sins and from, from the wrath of God because of that. And Lord, we thank you for the opportunity to express that weekly when we gather together. So Lord, every pastor that's listening to this, every church represented, Lord, may you move these leaders to lead these services in such a way that brings you glory, and it would be facilitated through the, the leading of the service leaders in these places. And may they remain faithful to Christ and all that they do with it in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to Trench Talk. We'd love to hear your feedback or any questions you might have for us. So to get in touch with us, you can email us brian at practicalshepherding.com or you can contact us through Facebook or Twitter. You can find out more about Practical Shepherding at our website. And at the website you can find our blog and you can also find information about articles and books that we've published. You can also find out information about our regional workshops where we engage pastors face to face to equip them for the trench work of ministry. So until next time, may the God of peace, the great shepherd of the sheep, equip you as you labor in the trenches of pastoral ministry.